0: Hello and welcome to the Jungle Brothers podcast. It's Joey here. And today's chat is with a buddy of ours named Will Grant. Will is the founder and owner of an epic gym down in Wollongong, which is a couple of hours south of Sydney, which is where we are. His gym is called Ghetto Movement, and they do a lot of really cool stuff. They do a bunch of mobility training, a bunch of bodyweight strength, a bit of weightlifting, and they even do a little bit of fight training. So obviously, between the Jungle Brothers and between Ghetto Movement, there's always been a lot of synergy. Um, and in terms of will as a gym owner and as a practitioner of movement um, we've always been sort of following a similar path so today was a really cool chance just to sit down and chat with him about his training now specifically i wanted to quiz him on his journey towards attaining the one-arm handstand now the one-arm handstand is a motherfucker of a movement and for anyone that's ever worked on the handstand in any capacity i'm sure you can kind of it resonates with you how challenging the one-arm handstand would be I was really interested to talk to Will about getting the one-arm handstand because I think there's a lot of relevant takeaways for anyone that's in the training process. Whether you are trying to get your first set of five push-ups, maybe you're trying to get your first chin-up, maybe you're trying to get a muscle-up, you're trying to get a handstand. These are these goals are just as relevant to you as the one-arm handstand is to someone like Will. They take a lot of consistency, they take dedication, and they take time, and that's a tricky thing to manage for busy adults and so i thought finding out what makes will tick and what some of the hurdles were in chasing down that training goal uh, would be a really valuable and worthwhile chat so we got right into that and i hope that after listening to this you're frothing out and go and apply this bunch of inspiration to your training Uh, paulie wasn't with me on the show today he's on holidays at the moment but he will be back next week so you'll hear his sultry voice then we had Tiora on the show last week. I hope you enjoyed that episode. It was really good to get him back on into the mix. He will be joining us once a month from here on in, so you can get used to hearing his Robocop-esque voice back on the show on the regular, which is really exciting. The band is back together. Really good chat with Will today. Enjoyed the hell out of it. I hope you enjoy it too, and I do hope it fires you up for your training. Please enjoy this chat with Will Grant. Just a note on the sound quality of this episode, the connection through Zoom wasn't fantastic for about the first 13 minutes. I ask Will to change his position in his gym and office a couple of times, just to get it better at about the 13 minute mark. It improves quite a lot. Um, so if you are finding it, it's uh, rubbing you the wrong way. Just know that it does improve, uh, at about 13 minutes. <laughs> Mate, let's let's rip straight in. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to disrupt our momentum in any way. Perfect. Um, and I've also got a lot of things that I want to explore with you. I'm quite excited, uh, to have this chat today because the more I think about the stuff that I see of you, you know, from what I know of you, but obviously lately it's all through social media, the more fascinated I get, I'm like, Oh, there's something I want to ask Will about there. Something, oh, that fucking thing. Yeah. The one I'm hands I want to talk about that. Oh, kids. I want to talk about that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's full on, isn't it?
0: Mate. Well, you tell me, um, <laughs> for those for those listening, thanks for jumping in. We got Will Grant, owner of Ghetto Movement, uh, friend of the Jungle Brothers, old friend. Uh, you're down in Wollongong. That's my brother, welcome to the big stage, the Jungle Brothers podcast.
1: Look, I'd uh, I'd be amiss to say that this isn't one of the highlights of my uh, my you know time in the movement world. Uh, I've seen a lot of these, and I've been waiting for the call up patiently. Just you know, <laughs> hands together, like every time we chat on Instagram, like. Is today the day, Joey says you're on? Is today the day? And you know what? At the start of the week or a couple of weeks ago, it was the day, and it was uh, it was a really nice feeling.
0: The problem is, is once you've reached the pinnacle, it's, you know what I mean? It's downhill. Or, you know, yeah. or you just try and stay there. But we can't have you on every week, so I don't know. What yeah,
1: exactly. Are. So I've, I've got to figure something out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I might I might have to come up to Jungle Brothers and do some time there.
0: Mate, you were just taking me on a tour of your gym, and uh, you're obviously um, locked down. Like, oh, wait, are you locked down in Wollongong?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, we're locked down tight.
0: Yeah, state. Yeah, okay, cool. So yeah. we're on that same boat. You've got a really cool spot there that has obviously evolved a lot since I've been there. Um, you had, you got an ice bath. You just showed me. Can you talk me through some of the the cool features you got at the gym?
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, we've got uh, the recovery room, like you were just talking about. So in the recovery room, we've got um a new ice bath which is just an old gelato freezer converted into a tub um, that we just have on a timer freezes from like 10 p.m to 5 a.m keeps it at like two to four degrees through the day um and then we've got a sorry excuse me an infrared sauna uh, as well so we've got that kind of hot cold element depending on what you like to do for your recovery um we like to have a bit of a play with how frequently and stuff we use it but the members love it it's um it's been such a welcome addition we've uh also got like a little, um, in the entry of the gym where I'm sitting at the moment, we've got a really cool little members bookshelf, um, which is cool. It's like a little bit of an in-house library where people can bring their own books and leave in here for people to borrow. And there's like just a bit of a, um, a goodwill system that happens there. Um, we've got a little cardio mezzanine, which, you know, I'm not really about that life, but you Indeed. know, some, some people like to get a sweat on and their heart rate up for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we've got, you got machines up there. Yeah, we've got a treadmill, a rower and a bike.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. Man, hybrid. I can't hate on that.
1: Yeah. Look, I mean, I own the joint and I hate on it a little bit and I do often tease people that are up there, but (laughs) (laughs) it's just, I'm just that way inclined, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, and then we've got the big, the big space out the back, um, where we do all of our stuff, got a little yoga loft slash virtual classroom, and a new addition, which is again, a little feature that we loved about um, JB and what you guys have done up there is that little like outdoor deck training area. Um, so we've kind of uh, punched through the copyright on that and done our own little rendition out the back of our place. So it's uh, it's been really handy during lockdown and stuff too. So.
0: Oh, of course, because you can, you can run PT there and people can come train. Yeah. So the,
1: yeah the, you're not allowed to use um, private property because out the back of ours is a nature strip. Um, we're allowed to use it. So Beautiful. it's, yeah, it's crazy, the rules, but yeah, we're, we were lucky enough that we've got a space that, um, that has something that's not private and where yeah. we're still allowed to utilize it for PTs and, and clients to come and do their own training. That's cool.
0: Uh, Mate, tell me, um, how long have you had ghetto movement for? When did you guys open?
1: Uh, we had our fifth birthday in April this year. Um, so we would be five and five and a half years old now.
0: Awesome. And yeah. do you own it with anybody else?
1: Uh, at the time of um, kicking it all off, there was a three way partnership. Um, and again, we took a lot of um, inspiration from you guys and, and how you sort of did things. But unfortunately for us, um, the synergy wasn't quite there. And I think the community at the time wasn't quite there to, to be able to support um, what we wanted to do. And uh, a lot of that stuff and responsibility was falling onto me. So, um, two, no, it would be nearly, yeah, two years ago now. Um, I, I brought the other boys out and, um, and took it solo. Oh, good on you.
0: Yeah. That's, that's an important thing. I, I think for people in business, like, you know, maybe looking at what we have or, uh, you know, or solo operators like yourself, there's no perfect way to do it. You really have to just make the best of what you have. And if it's not working and, and to say that, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that the people you're in business with it's not like anyone was necessarily doing bad things or what it was just like, it didn't work the way it was. So you have to find a new way.
1: Yeah, exactly right, man. And like, we're all, we were really good friends before it all kicked off and still really good friends. Now. Um, it was just one of those things that, you know, we were trying to put a, a square through a round hole in it. Um, no matter how we tried to shove it in there, it just wouldn't fit. And we were just, we just weren't going in the direction that we wanted to go. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, like I was, I think we were pregnant with our first kid, just gotten married and a lot of the financial pressure was falling on us and we just got to a stage and said, well, if this is the case, then we would prefer to have full creative control um, on everything, every decision that gets happened because if it's going to fall in our lap anyway, then we want to be the ones that, that call the shots and, and do the stuff. And when I say we, I mean my wife and I. Um, so as you know, Joe, that... As soon as you're in that uh, long-term relationship, it's, it's not a you show anymore. It's, it's we make decisions. Um, but, um, and, and, you know, we took a huge risk and gamble at that stage and um, it's paid off for us.
0: Mate, congrats. I love, I love what I've seen. You know, I, I've, I've come down there a few times over the years and I love what I see every time you show the little upgrades. I see stuff on socials. I think it's so cool. Um, so fuck good on you, mate. Making it work. cheers, yeah, man. Appreciate it. Yeah,
1: no, it's something that I'm super proud of too. Like it was, it was a, it was a huge passion project, and it's turned into um something that supports a lifestyle that I love living, and you know, my kids are going to grow up in a in a community that's like super supportive and love their their health and wellbeing.
0: Now you've got a third kid on the way soon.
1: any day. Literally, I could uh, I could have to flake out from this conversation if the phone rings.
0: Wow. So, how are you feeling, How are you feeling about having three?
1: I'm fine, man. Honestly, like if, if having kids has taught me anything, it's like one nothing can't be fixed with like a super full heart and like more love. Um, and it's just, yeah, like I I know I'm not going to sleep. I know that I'm going to be a little bit stressed out. I know that there's going to be nights where I'm like, I just want to scream and do all these things. My training will take a hit for a month or so, but I've done it all before and it's just an adjustment for a short period of time until we find some rhythm and routine and then it's back to normal. So. Um, um, I'm not not too phased by the third at all.
0: Now, tell me this, I can hear a bit of background noise. Uh, is there, I know I asked you to move before because there was the echo situation. this is the nature of of doing podcasts through Zoom. Is there a middle ground where we can get less of the background stuff?
1: Yeah, I think it's just a windy um windy roller door, so stand by for two seconds. I'll, um, I'll go out onto the the main floor so you guys can get a little look so actually while we go do the, do the people at home get to see the um video footage of this
0: potentially not i will save it and maybe do something with it down the track but if you got something you want to show us talk us through it
1: just uh i'll take you guys for a little tour as we go not that it's much good to you because joey's not going to show the visual but just taking you for a tour through the sauna room and then, uh, uh, take
0: us through the cool bits and i will get an editor overseas to just stamp like a jungle <laughs> brothers logo over all the ghetto movement logos <laughs> and then we can use it on our social media <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, good times good times these yeah the same copyright infringement that I went through to uh to get our stuff together how's um how's the audio here bro
0: yeah audio there's great
1: audio is good here all yeah right, I like so.
0: that it's clean the, the folks listening will appreciate that mate. um I want to I want to go into the training piece with you I want to talk yep. about that because it's obviously a huge aspect of of your life and and for all of us in this game it's you it's it's the thing that brings us into owning a gym in the first place um Tell me where your, like, your training journey started.
1: Really interesting one. So up until uh, I was 20, I think I started the whole handstands thing around 22, 23. Um, but I was huge into like rugby league, rugby union, footy um, for you know, four or five years. And I was all about just you know, bench press and a little bit of deadlift um, for a long period of time. And then I started training in a kind of CrossFitty way, um, super high volume, not much rest, and just you know making sure I was moving a barbell around as much as possible. I um, suffered a few gnarly injuries. I ruptured my pec. I had two shoulder recos, um, and it was around the second, around the first shoulder rico um, when I was like twenty three or twenty four. I started practicing heaps of yoga, Um, and then I was feeling faster with all my stuff I was feeling stronger with all my stuff I was feeling much fitter and in control of my breath and I was like oh yeah this is obviously a really cool practice um and then I did my shoulder again um and decided that once I was fit again I would do my yoga teacher training and like fully commit to fixing my body at the ripe age of 25 so I um I stopped playing any competitive sport um which I would come back to in the form of jiu-jitsu but we'll get get into that later um but yeah yeah exactly the sport of the gods (laughs) um and yeah just putting a heap of time to getting to know my body better through quite a soft practice to begin with um and then yeah the more i got into handstands the more i saw guys like uh uh, patrick beach and dylan Werner with like the instagram yoga guys then oh yeah Uh, and, you know, they were just doing all these crazy handstands. And I was like, that's going to be my style of thing. Um, and, yeah, so I started getting into the, that side of it. And then I, um, I fell in love with handstands and never really looked back.
0: And so, and obviously, uh, Dylan Werner I'm familiar with. He's a yoga guy. I see, he, he got some, I see his ads on Instagram. Um, <laughs> but so, obviously, you at a point, like that's, that was a thing. But then you moved away from that style and towards the more hardline kind of movement approach. Yep. How did, how did that transition occur? And what was that like?
1: It's, um, it's quite a funny story actually. So uh, my wife is a twin and her sister at the time was living in Perth and she had they hadn't seen each other for a fair while. And Katie just wanted Emma to go visit, but Emma and Wh- I were in.
0: Which a- one's your, what's your partner's name?
1: Emma. Emma. Um, yeah, yeah. So she wanted us to come up well, she wanted her to come over and visit. And um, we were in that sort of uh really honeymoon phase of our early days relationship. And Emma was like, no, I want to bring Will. I want you guys to meet and hang out and all these kinds of things. And I felt the tension. <laughs> I was like, she doesn't want me to be there. I shouldn't go. And Emma's was like, no, no, don't be silly. Come, come, come. And so I went over there. And so Katie had bought me um, a session with Harry. With uh, Harry Williams, holistic movement at the time. Um, Not knowing anything about him, just knew that he worked at a cool gym that was similar to the stuff that I liked and that he did handstands. And so she set up for me to go have um, a class at Movement Co. and then a session with Harry afterwards, which bought her three hours of time with her twin sister that she really wanted. Um, And then from from there... Wow,
0: what a move for
1: her. Oh, It's, yeah, massive play. And like and Harry and I are, are still really close now and he does a, a lot of my, um, interim programs. So, um, that's where it all changed. I was the first time I seen, seen a, a human in real life do a stall depress or a handstand push up. Um, it was the first time I saw anyone like mucking around with the whole one arm handstand thing. Cause he hadn't quite, uh, dived into that stage of it himself yet either. Um, but he was sort of doing a few things where he could balance for a few moments. And, it, um, it completely just changed the game for me. I, I saw that and I wanted to, um, to dive into that level of mastery of the body.
0: And so, Harry Williams, for folks who are listening, uh, he, for the, for the old school Jungle Brothers members who remember the old gym, he came and taught a workshop there once. It was a real last minute thing. I think there was probably about 15 or 20 people there. Um, I actually didn't really know of him prior to that, but he's quite a, uh, he's a, How would you say he's a, he's a bit of a force of a human,
1: he's, uh, he's cold blooded. He just says things how they are. And it's, it's, you either love it or you hate it. And, um, and as a coach, like he, I think he's given me like, he's getting softer as he gets older, since he's got his cats anyway. Um, but like (laughs) I, for the first three years of training under him, he never said anything nice to me But I like that. Um, you know, like, you know, I'd send him something that I was super proud of and he's like, Oh, that was much less terrible than last week. Um, (laughs) And things like that. And I'm like, I dig that because it's like, it it kind of takes away that chase of perfection and more you enjoy the process of, you know, you're never going to be an Olympic athlete or gymnast or a circus performer. So chasing perfection kind of gets brushed away, but you're chasing those small gains that do mean a lot to you under under Harry's sort of um, watch.
0: Mate, I'm going to make another request for the sound. Do you have something you can put the computer on? Like a, like a box or something.
1: yeah, yeah bro. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I just didn't know JB was so high maintenance, you know?
0: You know what? It's a funny one because you're always in two minds. You're, it's the same as when we're doing it in person and you have someone and they, they don't speak close enough to the mic and you, and you listen to Joe Rogan. And he, if you ever listen to him, he always tells people, he's like, Oh, just, just hold that a little bit closer to you. Um, but it, it, it feels sometimes a little bit mean to like keep saying to someone, oh, just talk a little bit closer to the mic. But the thing is, is like if you don't and then someone tells you, oh, I really like that episode, but the sound quality sucked. You're like, fuck, I should have yeah. just said something.
1: I should have just told him. How's that now? Is that better on a, on a box?
0: I, I will guarantee I will have no more requests now. <laughs> bro, bro, you <laughs>
1: said that to me at the start when you started recording. like, I'm not even going to check the audio because I'll just trust that this is going to be brilliant. <laughs>
0: It's all part of my power play. It's just to keep you like under the (laughs) thumb, sweating it a little bit, not quite quite comfortable. (laughs)
1: Let me know my belt (laughs) color. All
0: right. So that's cool. So, so Harry Williams, he was a, he was a big influence for you. And obviously like folks can check him out on Instagram and stuff. He's got a, he's pretty active on Insta, isn't
1: he? Yeah, yeah, definitely. He, um, I mean, he doesn't post much and when he does, it's like really like heavy and it means something to him, but his story is full every day of his training and his clients training. So it's definitely something good to check out. That's
0: cool. Um, these people who just post stories, it's, 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 a, it's a whole nother universe to me. Yeah. Um, but so then that drew you in. And I guess like we, we first met when it, it was the Yuri Marmestine workshop. Is that right?
1: Yeah. See, I always forget about that. I forget that we did that together because I remember getting there and... I was like fully fanned out that like you were there and the, uh, Rod Cooper was there. And <laughs> like, I was relatively new in the, in the movement game then. And like, you were like, oh yeah, ghetto. And I was fully just sitting there going, holy fuck. The guy from Jungle Brothers knows about ghetto. And I'm like, yeah, we fucking made it, baby. <laughs> That's
0: so good. <laughs> we're yeah. On. yeah. That was, that was back in the day. That was, um, yeah. Rod was there. I think Rod had a whole crew there. It was about fucking yeah. 15 of them. Yeah, new Um, couple
1: stand down in force.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, that was mad. That was like what two day workshop over at Lift?
1: Yeah. The gym formerly known as. Yeah, isn't that funny too? Because I remember, and it's this is something that like you don't think about until it's brought up. But I remember when we were doing the handstand press stuff and I went from not being able to get my feet off the floor, like you and I were at a pretty similar spot where we were were strong in the torso, but our like compression wasn't great and we weren't getting that lift off. And I went from being able to slide and just balance a little and drop my feet down. And then all of a sudden I lifted off and you came straight and I held it for a little while. And then you came straight over and you're like, what did you feel different then? And as a coach, I sat there and I was like, what is, what is this guy talking about? What did you feel different? And you were like, what was the difference between that one? And when you weren't lifting, like what did you feel? And I fully remember now thinking like, that's such a great thing to incorporate into coaching when like you're working with someone, did you feel that? And then what felt different and getting them to understand what that was. And it's just like, it's, it's literally just popped back in, but it was such an important um, cue that, you know, I probably would never would have thought about again or where it came from. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. Thanks Joe.
0: Mate. Yeah. Pleasure. I, um, I, I can only think that I was probably it came from a 100% selfish place because I couldn't press. <laughs> and so I'm like, what did you do to get that press? Yeah. <laughs>
1: like, what was the golden nugget? Give me yeah, the key.
0: Yeah, but that's cool. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of uh, workshop kind of experiences like that is that you're training with different people and it's like, it is a real collaborative kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, and there's, there's certain. I remember that day like feeling like, oh, it was like pretty good. Like I could like sometimes do a handstand push up and stuff. But then a whole bunch of the stuff like the press, I've always been terrible at. Um, which actually brings me to, you know just a, a, observing your training from afar seeing how you've progressed specifically with your handstand stuff has been super impressive um, because i saw what you were like then i could, i remember that you you didn't have great alignment like your shoulders were a bit tight you know like it was it was rough that it, it was there say, but it
1: was you can say it bro i sucked sucked yeah oh, suck. so bad no I, was, I wasn't i wasn't great that's
0: but that's sure. but that's the amazing thing for me is it you know, thinking that, and then seeing where you're at now, and we'll obviously get more into where you're at with it and the specifics of it down the, later in the chat. But that's been really impressive for me. Um, and I think that for a lot of folks, you know, when they're looking at people like yourself who are doing one arm handstands on social media and stuff, they're like, oh, yeah, but he's obviously really good at that stuff. Like, he's obviously just a super flexible guy, and/or you know, he's probably was a child gymnast or whatever." And you're like, <laughs> "No, man, I played rugby no. and had two yeah. shoulder recos. <laughs>
1: Yeah. The, the, well, I mean, and the, the hilarious thing was, is like the whole thing was a bit of an act of spite because my surgeon after the second Rico, so I had what they call a ladder J and so I've got two like 70 mil screws that run through the back of my shoulder and hold um like the, the socket and um, humeral head together. Wow. Like, so I literally can't dislocate my shoulder because it's fucking screwed together. Like there's a little bit of movement there, but it's not supposed to, to do anything. Um, and yeah, the guy was like, Look, you'd be lucky to ever lift your hand above like forty-five degrees again. And um oh, why? Yeah, yeah. Like he said that to me. He's like, You can kiss handstands goodbye, were literally his words. And my um so my mother in law was his surgical assistant. Um, and she has since showed him photos of what I'm doing now, and he's completely baffled. He's like, That's not possible. I'm like, bruh, it's it's happening. It's, it's, it's we're living it
0: you wonder if it's recalibrated his um his expectations of his clients and of his surgery or if he's just gone oh well he was obviously a child gymnast or you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> and all these people slinging that child gymnast my way. Like, i'll take it as a compliment that it looks easy but it's fucking not it's a grind
0: you know what's what's funny to think just talking about the gymnast piece and uh and lift actually i remember when i i went and trained at lift Early on when it, it hadn't been open for too long, which was for people listening, it was, just, it was a, a smallish kind of smallish big gym in Sydney, um, had, a, had a lot of really cool, you know, like whatever, had a really big Olympic weightlifting section, had a lot of great like a training equipment and movement area. Like it was pretty sort of revolutionary in that regard. It's kind of a mix between a warehouse gym and a, and a globo gym. But I remember doing some muscle ups on, the pair, on one pair of rings I had in there and a girl came up to me who worked there and was like, are you a gymnast? and it's and it's just so it's so indicative of how far we've come
1: yeah i was i was
0: just driving back from doing some pt in the park and there was about 14 pairs of rings in the park and i'm driving back past redfern and i looked over to another outdoor gym that i used to go to and there's about fucking 10 pairs of rings and i'm like yeah the, the the movement game and the training scene has really evolved a lot since we started
1: yeah, and it's 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 breaking down that, um, like, even now people come in and they do class and they're like, oh, I thought you just did stretching. I'm like, where did you hear that? Like, <laughs> who told you that? Like, where where's this information coming from? Like, we're pretty active on social media of, like, all the diversica- diversification we've got among classes and things like that. And our website definitely isn't, like, indicative of just stretching, but people... And I mean, it's definitely getting better that people just see something and because it's not that sort of, um, that super common way to train and like, like I don't like ragging on specific types of training because everything's handy for a person at any one point in time, but like, you know, people get stuck in that sort of gym junkie manner where it's like, you know, you've got to do your buys and tries, you got to do your chest and your squats or whatever it is combo. And it's like, if you're not lifting weight and doing those things, like, you know, are you a specialist? gymnast or are you like practicing flexibility it's like well no we sort of tied all in together but it's um yeah the the game's definitely changed like you know a lot of people want to know how to handstand and a lot of people want to learn to muscle up especially they're two things that you know people sort of have right on the top of their goals list all the time
0: yeah and they've kind of made their way into i mean i guess they've made their way into the mainstream in a sense haven't they with with training like even if it's just calisthenics folks who are not familiar with this movement realm that we kind of know um they're trying to do handstands and shit and and you know muscle-ups have always been their thing for a long time
1: and the um the and i mean even like look at the crossfit games last summer like they had the um the max handstand hold you know yeah yeah so they they had like a and it's super funny because um like, you know, if you, and it's the same thing, like you look at a gymnast, then you look at someone else that does something, it's always going to be completely different. But in the, uh, so for the CrossFit, they had like, I think it was like a meter by meter square. And as long as you were upside down vertical in that square, that was your static handstand hold. Right. And, um, and yeah, so like, I mean, that sort of stuff's becoming more common. So it's not just like, you know, handstand walking and handstand pushups, but they this time around they had a, a max handstand hold, which I thought was really cool. Um, who because got it? Like,
0: like who, do you know what the, the longest duration was?
1: Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. I, I kind of think it was maybe around that 90 second mark. Holy shit. Uh, something like that. Um, but yeah, again, it's like, you know, form wasn't the, the be all and end all. And it was like, you, you could walk inside the square, but still staying upside down for 90 seconds is a tremendous effort.
0: Fucking earth! Especially when you're jacked and you've just done a thousand deadlifts in two minutes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you've probably done some kind of snatching in between as well.
0: That's right. It's got to be Olympic lifting. Otherwise, it's not a workout.
1: Exactly. I mean...
0: Yeah. Mate, talk to me about... Um, so, we've touched on the handstand piece as being a big thing for you. And um, from what I understand, you you attained the one-arm handstand, right? And it's, We don't want to use the word mastery, but you attained it in terms of... It became a movement that you could kind of do, I'm guessing, semi-on-cue like consistently and you're like all right i've i've ticked this off in terms of yes i can do that movement um for folks listening majority of of people aren't going to really have much of a reference point about a one-arm handstand myself included right um i i i remember you know when i reached the point of being able to do a regular handstand with two hands i've always maintained this this kind of feeling uh this impression of like most people, like everyone, wants to be able to do this, but most people don't want to do the work that it require that's required to be able to do this. So, so the one arm handstand is infinitely further down the path, right, than that. Um, talk to me about uh, talk to me about that and going after a big training goal. Um, and I guess for anyone listening, they can they can perhaps their, their reference point could be if you can't do a chin up, then it's potentially how you look at a chin up when you first walked into the gym. We were like, oh my god. I'm never going to be able to do that. Or it's back squatting, you know, over a hundred kilos. Or if you're, if you're real strong, maybe it's double body weight, but it's that thing that you see other people do, you know, it's possible, but you're like, I got no fucking idea how I'm ever going to be able to do that.
1: Yeah. The, um, the one arm handstands was never an intention for me. Um, I was much more interested in, the strength stuff that came with handstands. so like your stall presses, your L-sit presses, your handstand push-ups, and the accessory stuff that was that came with that. But the more I've dived into handstands, um, and like my body type, I'm quite lucky. Like if I spend um, you know six to eight weeks on a strength project, I'll get really good gains and and learn a new skill quite easily. Um, but handstands is it's a it's a different kettle of fish because you can be strong enough to hold your body weight overhead um, and not be able to do a handstand because it's, it's more about balance and cognitive function than it is about actual strength and skill. Um, so when I started doing handstands and I started doing flags and, um, started doing what they call TP holds. So you come up onto one one, one, flat, one flat hand and one, um, fingertips. And then I started to feel like somewhat of, what i thought at the time was balancing those positions and that got me hooked and what drove me deeper was exactly what you just spoke about so more people start the one arm handstand journey and don't finish it then then get to that elusive 10 second hold which is um what we saw there's a sort of saying in it, it's you know if you can't hold it for 10 seconds then go fuck yourself um you know that's from harry's uh from school no. of of teaching but it's like if you if you can't hold something for 10 seconds and you don't really understand the balance that it takes to stay there which is where that um, level of thinking comes but it the thing that inspired me most was the fact that so many people had quit and so many people um you know like big movers that i'd sort of seen had like tried and not gone all the way and and as you were saying earlier i was quite a hack at handstands when we crossed paths and I thought, well, if I can get from level shithouse to somewhat of a decent, respectable one-arm handstand, then that's a pretty good journey. And if I can do it for someone like me, then I can replicate that for someone that wants to, you know, get from point A to point B in any movement, let alone like whatever it is, handstands or strength work. Like if you can do it in the, that environment where it's, you know, some weeks you go backwards 20%, and you've got to still show up and do the work daily because if you don't, it's gone. Um, you know, for so long, I feared rest days because the day after a rest day, your handstands would go backwards and it took you two days to get back to where you were. And so it was this really shitty experiences of three steps forward and four steps backwards. And you know, the, the two years I think it took me 18 months from the day of committing to doing it. Um, to, to getting my, um, my left hand involved with it. So it's, that's when you really pass the test is when you can do it on both hands
0: and that's um, 10 seconds on the left hand.
1: Yeah. 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 So it like took your me first
0: 10 second hold on the, on the bad first 10 side.
1: second hold on the bad side. And, wow. it, um, you know, it, it took me, I think a year to get it on my good side. So you're looking at like, if you've got a decent two arm, so like 90 seconds to two minute hold, and you can hold all the basic shapes, like tuck, straddle diamonds um and like with your chin to chest then like you've got a strong two arm it'll probably take you 12 to 18 months to to get a a 10 second one arm hold um and if you think about the the process and the time so that's like that's two hours six days a week of just handstands um which is
0: two hours six days a week just on
1: that just on handstands, which has been my training for the last three years. Like, my strength training hasn't really gone anywhere um, the last three years because two hours of my three hour session was spent on trying to develop a one arm handstand. And, you know, after spending so much time upside down on your hands, your shoulders are gassed, your hands are gassed. Um, you know, initially I did, I, I got a heap of gains uh, with my strength stuff. Like, I got my stalter press, stalter and handstand push up are on lock. Um, my pull-ups are super strong. My front lever's never been great, but it's it's sort of okay. But, um, you know, I've had a month where I've changed my um, target in training and, you know, my strength gains are coming through the roof now. i put on a bit of weight. I'm ready to get back on the mats and, and flex a little on the boys. Um, but the, um, the, the difference in, like, my peace of mind when I'm approaching a training session is phenomenal now. Like, handstands are such a a hard art to commit to because you could be, you could sleep, you could have all the right nutrition. You can have everything going for you and you kick up to your first handstand and you're like, yes, it's going to be on today. And then you go to pull that hand off the ground and you can't find your center of balance. You can't find your center of gravity and you just fall down and fall down and fall down. And it takes such a remarkable amount of character and resilience to not throw in the towel and that is one thing that i'm really proud of because it's taken you know three years of my life to to dedicate to something and really know that i gave it everything um and not give in when the going got tough or when i got frustrated or when i you know wanted to put my head through a wall um because there's like those days are more often than not for anyone that does handstanding or hand balancing seriously for a period of time um, and that's transferred over into a lot of like patients with my coaching, with my parenting, with running a business and stuff like that too. So I've taken a lot more, you know, practical elements out of a, a hand standing, uh, a hand balancing practice than I have uh-huh. with probably physical ones. Cause it doesn't really transfer over to anything other than, Oh, actually I, I lie. I've, I've got a really strong side lever and I've never trained it. And I put that down to like being in that sort of flag position on one
0: arm. Uh, okay. So was was it all about the handstand, or do you feel like because what I'm picking up, you mentioned um, there's you seem to be motivated by things that seem slightly impossible. So say what the surgeon said to you, and then you know thinking about you're like, well, fuck, I'm I'm here, like I'm at base level, and I want to get to that. And it's I don't know, it there's a part of me that thinks you kind of like a task that is seemingly insurmountable. Was it was it about the handstand, or was it just about Picking a training goal that was of that degree.
1: Yeah, you're right on the money, um, Joe. It's it's definitely more about the task at hand. And it's similar to like what I'm doing now. Like, you know, everyone's like, oh, you're having three kids. Like, it's going to be really tough. And I like to put myself in a position where the odds aren't necessarily in your favor and working really hard at making people see that it is possible. Um, and you know, yeah, you're right. It was definitely not about the handstand. It was more that I saw something that not a lot of people can do, and a really small percentage of people in the world can can actually get to that mark. And it was something that I wanted to become a part of that club. It's like being a black belt in jiu-jitsu, right? Like I started jiu-jitsu knowing that my end goal was black belt. You know, I'm not there to um, play the short game and and try and do these different bits and pieces. I want to dedicate practice to knowing that you know in 10 years time i'm some like i'm at a stage where i've become somewhat of a master but then i learned that i don't know fuck all about it and i've still got a lot of growing to do you know it's it's that journey for me that's really addictive and like really draws me in something that takes a lot of time rather than those short um you know easy like those are the dopamine hits it's
0: fascinating isn't it because i think i I don't see personally, I don't see things like that for myself at all. Like I don't, when I start out, I'm not like, Oh, I'm taking it to this point. I'm more like, Oh, I'm just doing it and we'll see how it goes. Um, which is just, it's just interesting, right? What, what drives an individual and what, you know, what, what sort of fuels your training and, and, um, you know, and I, I guess this, like this mentality fuels your business and your family life as well. Right. Yeah. Where do you think that comes from? Did you have, do you have any, did you have an experience as a kid? Like where someone's like, you'll never make it. Will Grant, <laughs> you're a piece of shit. Or do you know, yeah. is there anything like that, that, that's, that you can remember?
1: I don't, I don't think so. I think I've just always had this innate competitive nature. Um, you know, like I've got a, a, one of my mates that I was, you know, we've been friends since we were 12 and you know, a simple game of like one-on-one soccer out the back would turn into a full-on punch-up because we just neither of us wanted to give the other an inch um you know i just i i think i've just always been that way where if i'm in a room and i'm doing something i may as well try and be the best at whatever that task is except for my school studies that wasn't really my strong suit it's more (laughs) like athletically (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's more just, I think I'm, I'm a super competitive guy. Um, and I just, yeah, I, like, I mean, when I was playing a lot of competitive sport, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to play in the Olympics. I wanted to play professional rugby league. I wanted to play a professional rugby union. I had played AFL for a year and I expected some kind of mature age draft, um, <laughs> to miraculously come my way. Like I'm, I'm always like, I'm just wired to, to want to do that stuff and, and think that, um, that I'm destined for, for greater things than I probably am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I believe you are. Maybe the maybe the mature age, you know, um, fucking draft into AFL is not going to happen. But you know, I'm sure I could if you really put your mind to it, bro.
1: Yeah, I, I think that chips out for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what do you think would happen to you if you didn't, if you weren't able to apply yourself so wholeheartedly to this training process? are you the kind of person that needs something like so, like, because people for folks listening, it's like you, you two hours, six days a week on handstands. But then you said that you do a three hour training session, six days a week, yep. which for most people, that's like absurd. Um, obviously we're familiar with, with, you know, people that, that put um, you know, the, the small percentage of people who put that amount of training, uh, that amount of time and more into their training regularly. But, do you think that that for you is it, it, like you need to be occupied? Is that a, a part of you?
1: Yeah, definitely. Like, I don't sit still. Well, um, you know, I've I've got a mindfulness practice, um, but my mindfulness practice is busy. Like, it's lay. I I, I remember speaking you through it. Um, you know, I've got layers and layers of breath work that I do that it allows me to get to point A or point B. Um,
0: just to give folks a bit of clarity on that, Will, Will's got this breath practice that he talks about on his Instagram. And I, I've always tried to get, get a breath practice going. So I was like, man, I love what you're doing. You know, tell me about it. And you were like, man, let's jump on a call. I'll talk you through it. It's super basic. And I'm thinking, great. So we jump on this call and Will's like, okay. So first thing we do, we take 49 breaths, doing this way, it's tempo, <laughs> tempo, five in, seven hold, 15 out. But then after that, you're going to jump into this hyperbaric fucking <laughs> One nostril go, blah, 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 Okay, two minutes of that. Now, and I'm like, bro, you said it was basic.
1: <laughs> All right, Joe's exaggerating just a touch. Yeah. It was more basic than that, but it was definitely not as basic as he thought it was gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, and that's that's my personality in a nutshell. Like I I uh, if I'm at home like this morning, I, I said to Am. I was like, oh, I can push back my training and I can, I can help you out for the next two hours at home if that's going to make your life easier. I can go to the gym and train now and I can come back um, and help you with like from 10 to 12. And she was like, oh, now, now's good. And both the boys just came and chilled with me at the front and um, then they started playing together. And they didn't want to play with me. They were happy playing together and doing whatever. And I was like starting to get a bit antsy because I'm like, all right, well, if you guys don't want to play, then I'll go build something or do something and fix something in the house. And, um, you know, as soon as I like, I leave, they want to do what I'm doing. So I can't, you know, pull out the power tools or do something like that. And so I was like caught in this crossfire of like, if I walk away, they follow, but if I stay, I do nothing. And I was like, I'll go get my book. I'll I'll get my breath book and I'll do some more research on the stuff that I'm doing at the moment. And yeah, it's, it's, that's, yeah, I just can't be in this like quiet space for too long. Or when I am normally, I just fall straight asleep. sleep. So it's, got, it's like this bit of circle that's just constantly going. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, it's, it's definitely something that um, like when you say it out loud, you go, oh yeah, you really are highly, quite highly strung. But you know, I never feel um, like I've got nothing to do. Like I've always got a plan a b and c for when those things get done there's a D, E, and an f as well so i don't know if i'm um like just really really organized and ready for something to do or if i like maybe i should get go to talk to someone and get that checked out
0: I, yeah i mean i i i think it's admirable and i think that uh, i don't think highly strung is the right way to put it is it it's because i think um it's great to be driven and to have boundless energy and to have tasks that you're passionate about building, whether it's in your training or your gym or, or fixing something at home or whatever. Um, sometimes, I mean, I, I know this too, that sometimes that level of kind of uh, like occupying yourself constantly can, can sort of bite you in the ass when the time comes to just hang out with your kids or sit on the couch and watch a show or whatever with your partner. But I, you know, I think it, there's a, there's a strong argument for, it's better to be that way than to just be a sloth and you yeah. want to just sit around and crack tinnies at midday and sign off for the yeah. rest of the day.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. And you know, it's, 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 um, it's definitely like, and I know what you mean, like sometimes it does come back to bite you in the ass because when you're not fully present for, for like cool moments with the kids and stuff you do, you go fuck, just, just settle down. And like, this can happen tomorrow or this can, you know, you don't have to train today. You can have a rest and you know, that, that became a big part of me making the decision to, to step back from the big handstand practice. Um, because it was one of those things that, you know, and during lockdown I've been surfing heaps more and it's, it's been so great for my mental health because you can't take your phone in the water. You can't be contacted. You can't be pestered. There's no problems out there except, you know, what the ocean throws at you. And, um, I was getting anxious when I was surfing more and training less. Because my handstands, you know, I was like, oh no, I'm missing a handstand session to be out here. And then I'd be sitting there going, oh, this is way better than doing a fucking handstand. Like, what are you complaining about? And so to take that power away from, you know, some form of anxiety, I just decided that, you know, now was the time to to shelf the, the rigorous handstand practice and start to focus more on like that lifestyle style of training where it's like, what do I want to be able to do when I'm 50 years old and that surf really well and, you know, still do the splits and maybe some basic handstands and some muscle up stuff. Um, but, you know, a one arm handstand as a 50 year old has probably lost its flavor by then. Um, you know, the only person that's going to impress is probably my grandkids in a, you know, a decade later, but you know, who else really gives a fuck? And if you don't, then what's the point?
0: And I mean, they will only, they will think it's about as good as the, the shitty kick up attempt that like the handstand, they can't do they will be like, I can handstand too. look. And then you're like, that's yeah, not a handstand. And then you're like, fuck, it was all for nothing.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I've, I've held on to this practice till I'm 60 for the sake of a, a two-year-old telling me that they can do it too. And I'm like, that ain't <laughs> it. That's not it.
0: <laughs> Harry, tell this kid. <laughs> can you talk to me about um, some of the, I, I guess let's, let's get a bit sort of handstand specific um, because, you know, very relevant to, to people listening. Um, tell me about some of the biggest... Um, obstacles you've had to overcome with that in, to, in terms of any of it, whether it was mo- the mobility aspect or having training sessions that sucked, you feel like you're going backwards.
1: Yeah. I definitely think the mindset behind it is really tough um, because then it's just, and this is the, the the nature of the beast. It's like you can have 10 bad days and then you get one 10 to 15 second hold of balance and you feel like the best human that has ever walked the planet and it sucks you back in really hard um and that uh, that in itself was really tough for me to to take because i'm quite an optimistic character and so every time i was kicking up i'm like this is the one this is the one this is the one and i'd have you know 20 of 30 of my attempts not count because it went for nine seconds instead of 10 or went for 11 seconds instead of 12 or whatever the the target was for that session. And you know, I had this like innate battle within myself. Like you have to keep going, you have to keep going versus this guy. That's just like, that's enough for today, man. Like just stop. You're pushing shit uphill. You're forcing it. Just relax. And it was that mental battle that sometimes put me in a a shit headspace space for other types of training or going home and you know seeing the kids or if i didn't sleep you know i start to get bitter towards like having to you know be awake at 3 a.m with a with a crying baby and i'm like you know that that mentality was really tough to to work with at times um but the other thing was um you know you're suffering alone a lot of the time too like not many people dive down the rabbit hole of one arm handstand and you know i was lucky enough that timmy randall um was doing it also um but you he's know he's one of your were, coaches yeah he's one of our coaches and if you've um if you remember yeah tim tim j randall on the gram um and he's a phenomenal mover he's like six four 105 kilos and he's got a one arm handstand and splits every which way um, but you know i was lucky enough to be training with him you know a few days of the week but a majority of my time was spent training solo and you know suffering like that and just completely doing it you see people walk in and it's you telling yourself that they're thinking this yes, but they're like hasn't he gotten any better like he was falling down like this a month ago like what's the point and you know it's it's that um you know they're probably not even seeing me do a one-arm then as they walk into the gym they couldn't care less um but yeah i think m- most of the uh the hardship was mentally um you know your elbows get a bit tender your wrists get a bit sore physically but you know, that's just stuff that you need to either adapt to or figure out a better way of sort of using your body. Um, but yeah, the men- the mental side of it was definitely the toughest. There was, there was a lot of mental blocks in in getting to the, the state that I'm at now where I can kick up and, you know, guarantee you a 10 to 15 second one arm handstand.
0: And so what would be the thing there that would take you out of that place? Like if you've had 10 bad, so if you're on the, you know, the back end of a streak of, you know, 10 shitty sessions, what, what, keeps you in the process
1: is that it's, look, what we're talking about before is um is just that mentality of having to be better um knowing that it's just around the corner knowing that this is the process knowing that um you know if i fail this many times like and a lot of it comes down to like the parent and the the leader that i want to be in our community is like well what what um what want do I, or what not, not what honor, what purpose does it serve to be able to tell someone that they need to do X, Y, and Z if you haven't walked the path yourself. And, um, or what right, what right do I have? Sorry, is what I was trying to get out there. And so it it all became that kind of focus for me was right. If I want to be the, you know, the best at whatever I want to do or be the best I can be as a, as a leader, as a coach, as a, as a father, then I have to commit to these things that I'm, I'm, I'm doing that I'm choosing to do. So it all came down to that mindset of like, I have to, I have to do it. it. It's one of those things that you've started. So now you have to finish and you know, you'd get to that session. And like I said before, I'm super optimistic. So I would always be kicking up, expecting that good hold. And when it did come, I'd be like, yes, I told you. And Tim would often look at me and go, bro, you've been here for three hours and done one good hold, like shut up. <laughs> and it wasn't enough to take the glory away from me. I was like, who gives a fuck? Where was your good hold? So <laughs> you know, and you know and it's just that that level of, i'd go from so frustrated and shitty to kicking blocks across the gym to like i can't be beat
0: wow did you ever feel um did you ever feel like you were not and this is a, this is a it's a delicate question but i gotta ask and and obviously um <laughs> I, yeah, I know you'll understand where it's coming from but did you ever feel like it was getting in the way of you being able to bring your best to your family?
1: Um, yes and no. Um, so, and I remember like a few people have sort of said different stuff, um, where like my training in general and I look at my training as work and I always have since I started ghetto. And so I, I never looked at my training as like something that I shouldn't be doing or something that I didn't plan around having a scheduled part of my day. Um, And I think that became a big part of me, including the boys in my training sessions um, and doing all those kinds of things. So I kind of adapted um, the attitude of having a training session that was synergistic with family life, but also when I needed to have a really good three hour slog out I had no guilt in stepping away from the house for that period of time because I looked at it as, you know, research, study, um, physical work on myself, like perfecting my craft so I can then teach it to someone else. So I, um, I adapted that sort of philosophy pretty early. So it was never really a, a choice for me or like, is it this or that? It's like, well, this is just my life and it either works together or, you know, something gives
0: That's a very cool way to look at it. I can take something from from that myself because, yeah, it's it's um, because it is very easy to look at training sometimes as a bit of a luxury, isn't it? Yeah. If you've got a shitload on your plate, but when you think about it, if you're if you are leading a fitness community or coaching is what you're slinging, it's like no, you you got an obligation to to maintain a level and be able to relate to the process that your people are on. So you 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 have to do it.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and like I think that. And like with our internship, um, you know, we, I talk about that with the guys, like, um, one of the modules is, um, my coach has a coach and it's making sure that like one, you're accountable to someone that's not you because you will let yourself slip. Um, and two, that you hold a certain level because if you're not holding a level, then, you know, what level will you set for your guys? And, you know, if that's not a clear cut in stone sort of mark, then, you know, they're kind of, in my opinion, obviously, um, then there's kind of no standard that gets thrown around. And if, if there's no standard that gets thrown around, then what are you really looking at doing? I think, it was, um, I think it was a young Joe Worthington that once told me, if you're not working on a tempo, then you're just having a play.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I said something along those lines. Yeah, yeah standards are important, right? Um, the training standards, I, I, I think back to the greatest progress I've made with any of my different training uh, journeys. And it's always been um, when there's been a coach present, that's been guiding that, whether it's jujitsu or it's movement or whatever. Uh, But the times where I haven't had the coach and it's just me doing my own thing is, you know, I'm usually just fucking around.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there's a time and a place for that in training too. Um, Like I know that every time um, I've gone through a huge change in life, like kids, um, holidays, uh, family, staff, all those kinds of things, or like when I've been committed to like a big renovation or something like that, um, then I go into more of a playful aspect of training and I don't have a regimented um, session that I need to do at certain periods of time. And it's more just feel instead of perform. And I think that it definitely has a place, um, especially for your mental health, um, that, that helps a lot when it comes to training and prioritizing what you need to be doing in a day
0: you touched on before you want to get a jitsu black belt. There's for, for, for us, it makes perfect sense. Like, yeah, I want to do handstands. I want to do jujitsu. I want to lift weights for people that are in, you know, in those like really deep into each of those realms. They generally don't look across to these other things and think I want to go after that either. Um, I've always said that, that handstands are kind of one of the, Sort of one of the hardest things you can work on when you are training Jiu Jitsu because Jiu Jitsu tightens up your, your shoulders and your upper back so much, and those areas are integral to being able to get into a good handstand position. How does that go for you? Tell me, tell me, you know, how that works, how long you've been training Jits for what that sort of combined
1: journey has been like. I, um, so I had a real love hate relationship with Jits when I first started doing it because I have seen people doing things that I knew that I should be able to do. So I was quite frustrated when I was constantly like sucking. Um, And so like, as soon as that happens, as soon as I'm like in the realm of suck, I automatically become addicted to it. Um, Like I move really well as an athlete. So when I can't perform a task, I'm like, right, it's time to perfect this and like become really good at it. And I, um, I started rolling with one of the guys at the gym that I was I was training out of. And, you know, he was a brown belt at the time and he was much heavier and he plays such a different game that I didn't realize at the time I would have nothing to do with. Um, you know, he was real heavy and, like, dominated the, you know, around the world, like, side control to mount, back to side control, just giving me no space and basically just crushing the life out of me. Um, and... Then I started seeing stuff like the Mendez brothers and, um, and Gio Martinez. And these guys came from like, you know, a more movement style practice. And I was like, right. So the stuff that I'm training at the moment can actually be really beneficial to jujitsu. And at that stage, I hadn't, um, fully committed to wanting to, to do anything with it. It was more just a hobby so that if one of my mates tried to wrestle me when we were on the pierce that I could just, you know, nip it in the butt and flex. Um, but, and, and, you know, as do most young guys when they start the jiu-jitsu thing, and I think I've been rolling now for um, maybe two and a half years. Um, but I started off like six months real hardcore, like every, like three or four days a week. Um, and then I had a nasty knee scare where I was paired up with a blue belt, um, you know, and he got super aggressive and we were just doing some drills and he got really aggressive and fell we, we sort of got into a bit of a tussle and he fell really funnily on my leg. And, um, I heard a huge pop. Um, and it's, it, it honestly, it scared me so much that I I had six months, nine months off jujitsu. Um, I just didn't want to do it. Like uh, to me, it wasn't worth it. I, it would ruin all my training. Um, and all the things that I've been working so hard on for so long for that I was like, nah, it's not worth it. It's not my game. And then, um, my coach, or Grant um, Grant Barlow, who runs the school I train at now. He just kept sort of luring me into like a session here and there, and then he introduced me to this coach who now I, I do a lot of private work with, um, who plays much of a similar game to myself, or like a, much of a similar game that I've adapted from him. But, um, and it just made me fall back in love with it because there was a different way to do things and a different way to, to start diving into it. And um, I was supposed to have my first competition just before um, COVID hit, it was literally the week of, um, of, um, of lockdown, like the first day of lockdown was supposed to be the, the New South Wales state champs. And I was really excited to, to dive into it because I've been putting in so much work to this practice that you know fills my cup on a competitive level because it's a me versus you thing, right? Like you walk in and there's a, a certain element of all martial arts that you have to accept that it's not, I hate you and you hate me but it is me against you physically and I'm going to do what I have to do to to get on top and and create that edge. Um, you know, there's no, there's not normally a malicious intent. Um, you know, in any sport, people get in um, certain moods and do things like that. But the beautiful thing that I've found about jujitsu is, you know, 95% of people are there to explore whatever possibilities come and they're problem solving in a live scenario, which blows my mind. I love it to death. Um, and, you know, the performance side of it, in you know, a competition, like really started fueling a fire for me because it was, I realized it was something I'd missed from playing sport, you know, at a, at a high level my whole life. And um, I was really excited to kick that off and it, was, it sucked that it um, got taken away, but it's, um, it's something that, you know, I really enjoy now is like my two days a week um, in classes. And I've got, I do a private session a week with a coach outside of lockdown. Um, and it was really nice to have a practice separate from, you know, the, rig- the, rig- the rigorous nature of handstands and gymnastics and step into a realm somewhat unknown and be starting from afresh essentially. So it's, um, it's become quite an addiction for me.
0: And how do you – how does it balance out with – do you find any of the downsides physically to train jiu-jitsu, like the tightness or any of that kind of stuff? Do you – does any of that think- hinder progress in other areas?
1: No, well, I mean, because I'm so monotonous with my movement, um, protocols, to be honest, um, the only time I've ever felt it push me backwards is when I hurt my knee. Um, I jarred my thumb once, but then I realized that I don't really use my thumb that much to balance. So it, um, it didn't really hinder my handstand practice for any more than a day or so. Um, but otherwise like the general soreness and stuff, I've never really experienced, um, just because I move so much every day, like, um, you know, in between rounds before rounds, like at home, but I'm doing nothing. I'm moving through ranges of motion, you know, static, uh, static, passive sort of stuff or, or active, um, range type thing. So I just, I don't think my body ever has a chance to really settle into being sore and, um, you know, pushed into bad posture or anything like that. It's
0: a it's a shame about that competition. I was um I was gonna I did the competition that was about a month before that one.
1: Yeah, and gold I, medal too, I believe, right?
0: No, silver.
1: Oh, sorry, bro.
0: Oh, sorry. I got a gold in my weight division because I was the only competitor in it. But I didn't. I gold. didn't claim that medal. But it was gold there. Medal a gold
1: medal. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the mantelpiece.
0: But I, yeah, I got a, I got a silver in the in the open weight, which was I won one and I lost one. Yeah. Um. But um, I was thinking, oh, this is kind of a smaller comp. It'd be cool to do the state championships, which was my first comp in many years. Um, I'm so glad I did that one because a month later we're in lockdown and that comp got canceled.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was really shell shocked because yeah, like I said it, um, and unless you've prepped for a BJJ comp, like it's really hard because there's rolling and then there's competition mindset and the competition mindset is so much more intense. Like when we switched from general practice and developing a game to, or you're competing in a month, like even the intensity from my coach, like it was hard to handle. Like he was really aggressive and like all of a sudden there was no like tiptoeing through certain things. It was just, I was getting thrown around and bashed into the ground. And I was like, Oh shit, this is legit. And um, you know, it, I, I was, I started to really love that, that nature of it. And um, yeah, to have it sort of just taken away like two days before it was uh, really sucky.
0: What kind of stuff would you do? Like, tell me Tell me what the training sessions were like in that comp prep phase.
1: So I'd never done much stand-up um, or I'd never practiced any stand-up before that month. And then, because um, I, I was like, well, I, I'm, I'm more of a bottom player and I work on, you know, or if I am in that position where I'm up, I never really commit to side control. and I'm just trying to pass and then you know, take it back or get you to turtle or something like that. Um, And so we were starting from our feet and, you know, he's like, right, this is how you go. And like normally when you start and for the guys at home, I'm using my hands to imagine I'm cupping Joey's head. Um, Like you're, you're reaching forward and you kind of just get that set position. And then you go like when you're just rolling. But he was like slapping the side of my ear and pulling my head down, like in a really nasty nature. And like I would fall over like initially because I just wasn't, ready to have someone latch onto the back of my head and essentially like open hand slap me, but keep their hand there. And it, it took a little while to get used to. And then, you know, the heel of his hand would sometimes hit my jaw and that would shatter me a little bit. And it was, um, and then I started getting thrown, like he'd like he'd pull me in an arm drag and hip bump me over and, instead of like caressing me to the ground, like it when you're rolling, he's like pumping me into the deck and I'm winded on the ground. And I'm like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> like, Is this hell week in the army or something? And yeah, um, yeah, it went, it goes from zero to a hundred. And, you know, you can protect someone in BJJ when you're rolling with them or you can fuck them up, you know, and he went from protecting me and making sure I landed softly and I wasn't getting hurt to not giving a single fuck about my wellbeing at all. And, making sure I was like, had that ability to switch on when I needed to. And, you know, it probably took me three weeks to, to really fall into that mindset of like, okay, we're here to fucking fight. Um, like, you're going to try and break one of my limbs or put me to sleep and I have to try and do the same to you. And, you know, it was, um, it was, quite, it was quite a shift in mindset. So, he, um, yeah, he, he really got quite firm and I felt every bit of his brown belt energy those, uh, that month coming into the comp.
0: Wow. That's cool. Yeah. That, I, 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 that resonates that sort of intensity and it is a little bit, um, it's a bit intimidating, isn't it? But then it's also quite addictive.
1: It's so intimidating. And like, the thing is, is so Adam, my, my coach that was doing these privates with me, he's such a lovely guy. And to look him, you know, who he looks like dead ringer is Han from the fast and furious, that Asian guy that's like super chilled, always snacking.
0: Oh, I think I think I can remember who that guy is. I've only seen one.
1: Yeah. You look at him and you're like, I could beat you in a fight. (laughs) No, you couldn't, Will. No, you could not. This guy (laughs) throws me around a room and like beats me up, like not even breaking a sweat. Wow. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So and like he's not a heavy dude, he's not super masculine to look at, but god damn, he moves well and his timing is just crisp. It's incredible
0: how do you view the future going after, you know, going after a black belt in jujitsu? Um, I'm sure, you know, it's not going to be your sole focus because there's all the other stuff in the gym and the movement realm you want to do. How do you see that, that the interplay between those different realms?
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, it's more just not rushing. Um, you know, like 25 year old. Well, I mean, to be honest, even me now, like I see, I see myself developing, you know, a game where it's possible that within five years, if I really go for it and dedicate myself to it, I could be a candidate for a black belt. But there's also the part of me that understands the process now that it's not about, um, getting to spot X. It's not about the actual black belt. It's about, you know, understanding this algorithm that is jujitsu and that's what's most valuable. And you know, that's going to take me 10 years. So, the, the crossover doesn't really bother me too much because I know I'll stay consistent with at least two to three classes a week um, or like, you know, for a majority of the year for nine months of the year, say. Um, and I know that'll be a consistent enough practice that by the time I'm 40, I can put my hand up and, you know, probably know that I'm ready to be a black belt, whether I am or not, isn't the, the, the end goal. It's having that understanding and that level of ability that, I can problem solve on the fly and whether I roll someone like yourself, that's a a BJJ lifer or, you know, some young gun that's coming in with, you know, all these different things that I can handle myself under pressure and, and problem solve my way out of situations. So with, with that sort of mindset, I know that it doesn't matter how many different um, training things I'm doing, which will be, you know, more than likely surfing BJJ and this whole gymnastics movement realm. I know that I can dedicate enough time to either to keep progressing in all three, um, to a level that I'm happy with, um, just by being consistent, you know, nine months of the year with with any of the three practices.
0: You touched on a moment ago, 25 year old. Will, what would be your what would be some advice that you'd give to someone who's early on in the training journey, who looks at this, um, and and this is obviously our mantra, but I think it applies to you too, the fight, lift, move thing. That, and, this, and you're living it, right? You're, you're doing it. You're like BJJ, yeah, handstands, bodyweight strength, do a bit of weightlifting. Um, what would be your advice to, to the young gun that's out there that's like, I'm fucking going for it. I'm doing it all now and I'm 21.
1: I think about this a lot. Um, and because, I mean, I made all of the wrong decisions with my training and stuff. And I think my message to, you know, and, and the guys doing our internship, they're all that level um you know they're they're early 20s and they're they're going for it and um my message would just be just be clear on what it is that like means something to you don't just do something for the sake of it if there's no fuel behind it you're never really going to reach the level that you're aiming for um and don't be in a rush like my goal was you know at, at the time when i was um 25 my goal was to be better than when i was at 25 and i when i'm 30 like you know and now my goal is 40. I want to be better, a better quality of mover by the time I'm 40 than I am right this minute. Um, and so that's, that would be my message. Like, look, look for the long game because you can achieve so much in like a long period of time. If you just stay consistent and you allow yourself to have, you know, breaks from time to time. Like when I say the nine months a year thing, like if you look on the big scale of things and you have two weeks off here and you have a week off here, like you've lost a month or two already. Um, and if you thought that you only had a year to do something, then that's a big deal. But if you put together five to 10 years of nine months of consistency, imagine what you could do. And you know, you're giving yourself a three month break every year. So it's that, it's that longevity mindset that I would be, I'd be pushing on 21 year old will for sure.
0: I like that. Is that something you, do you write that out or is it just like a template that's in your head?
1: It's a, it's a bit of a template in my head, but I, um, so I do this thing at night. If I can't fall asleep straight away, I have a journal next to my bed. Um, and I do it in the dark and I just write down whatever I'm thinking about at that moment. And one of the times this was that, um, and it was like, I look and I just look at it the next morning and I'm like, Oh, that's actually really smart. Like, that's a really good thing to think about. Like don't rush. And like you give yourself this window of time and it doesn't matter if you have a, a week off or two weeks off to step away from it because you've got nine months. It's, you know, it's huge, um, a huge amount of time to dedicate to something. Um, and it's, yeah, it's sort of um, it eventuated from, yeah, like a, a, I couldn't sleep because I was thinking about like a, how to formulate something, which happens quite often for me because as I was saying, quite busy minded. Um, so when I lay down, sometimes I'm like unpacking, you know, how to put this together in a program or how to, You know figure out how to get from you know a back step into a back take and all these kinds of things so i literally just lean over i jot down what i'm thinking about right there and then i close the book and i fall asleep pretty quickly but then i revisit it the next morning to try and format it and and see what i can come up with so it was um it was a it was a happy coincidence that my brain went there right before i went to sleep
0: i like that i see a lot of merit to to framing things in that way because yeah for most people there's, there's always going to be disruptions to the training process. And whether it's you get sick and you take a week off or you take a holiday for a couple of weeks or whatever, there's, there's always things. So if you kind of go into a 12-month period knowing and giving yourself that permission to take a few months away from the thing, it removes that pressure of having to show up every week even when you don't actually show up every week statistically.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And, and that's a big problem like – and I I developed that sort of issue personally with the whole handstands thing because I wouldn't allow myself to think like that for handstands specifically because from everything I knew about it um, was it had to be monotonous. It had to be every day. It had to be every day. Um, But having that mindset towards handstands allowed me to get this separate mindset towards strength training, towards BJJ and those other things because... Um, it had to play second fiddle to something anyway. So I knew that if I showed up for a three hour handstand, a three hour training session, and I was supposed to have an hour of jujitsu or an hour of strength after it, but my handstand practice was shit and the handstand took up the whole three hours, that I had to have this happy place of allowing me to let go of the, the extra session I was supposed to get in. So I kind of adapted from a, a psychopath looking at handstands as the be all and end all. And it turned out into this sort of um, this format that allowed me to have a better attitude towards like a lifestyle that was built around training and stuff.
0: Mate, I love it. That's a um, that's a deep chat and there's a, there's a lot of really cool takeaways in there for anyone that's at, at any point in the training journey. I think whether they're, you know, just trying to get into the habit or they're already grinding it out in the gym most days of the week and chasing big goals. I think there's something in that discussion that's going to help enrich the process for them. Could you, um, could you tell people where they can find your stuff? I know you've got your coach's internship going on. You've got things happening. Give us, give yourself a little plug.
1: Yeah. So you can um, grab us on Instagram, uh, just at ghetto movement. Our new online platform is dropping next Friday on the 1st of October. And that's online underscore ghetto, or we're going to call it OG um, moving forward. Um, so you can get that on the gram, um, get a You can, uh, you can get all our stuff or get in touch with us there. So, um, we've got a heap of things happening, you know, from custom programs to on demand programs, our internship, um, and then the gym itself, we've hopefully back open on the 11th, which is really exciting. And, um, yeah, so yeah, it's pretty much us, like super simple, but you know, we've got some good stuff and you should get around it.
0: I love it. When do you think that, um, we'll be able to roll again?
1: Bro, as soon as we're allowed in the same room, I'm making that trip up to, to wherever we need to be. We'll go upstairs, we'll put the gi on and we'll just get a little bit sweaty. I'm if excited.
0: It, to, yeah, to, to, to give folks a bit of context like about the, the competitive nature of Will, I'll, I'll just receive random messages from you either <laughs> via, via text or through Instagram that'll be like, oh man, can't wait to fucking take you down and fucking show you who's the man on the mats. I'll be like, oh, shit, I guess we Will's thinking about some jits right now. It's like <laughs> They just pop out of, out of nowhere. And it's always like with a smiley face, whatever. So it's like good vibes. <laughs> I mean, but but I'm like, I could see the competitive thread there. And I, I respect that.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm, and like, this is my mind, right? Like you're an experienced campaigner. But I know if the right circumstance happens, I need to be ready. Like, so if you make a mistake and my timing is perfect, I could get a tap. I could fully get a tap. But it has it to happens. be, the, star, the stars have to align and I have to catch that moment. So I need to be ready. And I'm like, I'm always thinking about that 1% of time. And I'm like, oh, that would be so amazing. Imagine <laughs> if I got Joey to tap me on the shoulder and say, that's enough, bro, let go.
0: I remember the times vividly when I was at white or blue belt where I caught uh, like a brown or a black belt. And it's just, it, it's, it's there. It's etched into your DNA. Your, your, you know, your great, 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 great grandchildren will understand that feeling. They will know the narrative because it's such a such an impactful moment for you
1: definitely definitely i told you about diego a few weeks ago right No, what happened yeah so diego and i were rolling and um i got him in a heel hook and um and he looked at me and he goes in his brazilian accent he's like either put it on or take it off man and i'm like what and he goes i'm not gonna tap I'm a brown belt. You're a white belt. (laughs) And I was like, like my brain's going, do you snap this guy's ACL or do you let go and just have some fun? (laughs) Like I let go. And like that, yeah, I let go, bro. I was like, well, I mean, he's not going to tap and I'm not going to do his ACL in, so I'm not that guy. Um, But it was like, it was nice. (laughs) He would have tapped. I don't think he was going to, bro. He fully goes, he's he's exactly as well. Look at your belt, look at my belt. (laughs) I was like, you're right, bro. You're right, it's that, it's that mindset of like, no way. It's that Gracie mindset, I would call that.
0: Yeah, it's true. Did he um, did turn it on and put it on you after that?
1: Yeah, 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 he got me every round. But I mean, yeah, he's, he's a savage, bro. He's so, so savage and he goes so hard. It's such a different style to how like, I play. And it's so nice to like, put in front of that whirlwind energy. And um, yeah, it's, it's crazy.
0: You gotta call him Light Roll Diego
1: light roll diego
0: <laughs> yeah just we we have that that thing going between us where it's like yeah light roll because we both know we're completely incapable of doing it <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i love it that'll be like yeah i'll i'll try and take that that aspect when we finally get on the mats and then as soon as like i feel a little bit of pressure from you i'll be like that's it it's, it's the gates are open i'm ready
0: <laughs> mate thanks for um thanks for joining me today i really i really appreciate that chat it was good fun
1: I mean, thanks for having me on. And um, like I said, I've been, I've been really keen to jump on here for ages. So it's, uh, it's nice to get the opportunity and, and share with your community. Love it.
0: I hope it lived up to everything you thought it was going to be.
1: It was, bro. Even just spending the hour together, you know, that's all I needed.
0: Oh, my man.
1: <laughs>
0: all right. I'm going to uh, kill the recording here. We can stick around and have a little chat afterwards. Guys, thanks for listening. Um, if you enjoyed that chat, the, the coolest thing you can do for us is to take a screenshot of it and share it on your socials or share it with a friend, pass it on to someone because it just helps to support the show. Um, actually on that, I have heard a couple of really cool stories lately of listeners who are completely um, outside of, of my life and Tiora and Paul's sort of realm, but who have somehow gotten onto the show and listened to it and take a lot away from it. So to those people, thank you for being part of it. And um, I hope that we can continue to provide awesome stories like Will's and and cool conversations for you guys to listen to. Uh, We'll catch you guys next week. Peace. Thanks, brother Will.
1: Easy.